Hello and welcome to Let's Enter the Arena. I'm your host, VM Campos, and this is the podcast where I talk with a member of the Magic the Gathering community. This week, my guest is... My name is Alan. Hello, thank you for being on the podcast. Is there anything you would like to promote, like a Twitter or a Twitch account or anything like that? Yeah, sure. I stream every Thursday and every Sunday afternoon. That's 6 to 8 or 9 or 10 on Thursday, however late we go. And then Sundays in the early afternoon at twitch.tv slash brashara, B-R-A-S-H-A-R-A. We have some good fun playing some standard on Arena about twice a week. Looking forward to climbing the ladder with everyone. All right, so I've... uh... A little bit about my backstory is I've played Magic since the 90s, but I stopped for a long time. I played between like 1995 and 1999, and then I stopped until about Hour of uh, hour of Devastation recently. So uh, what about yourself? How long have you been playing Magic in general? Sure. Well, what you're saying, I think, about you know how you played a long time ago, and then you stopped, and then you started again. Like I think that's so central to what makes the Magic community great. Like, I started playing Magic when I was 9 or 10, which is almost 20 years ago now. Mm-hmm. I, like, I traded a frog for my first deck. I caught it at a <laughs> summer camp and traded it to someone else for a deck. And that was back, I want to say it was Ice Age, maybe. Yeah. I remember my deck was really good because it had, like, a Vizardrix and then, like, whatever the red carbon copy of Vizardrix was, like, the Ogre. They were both just, like, six yeah. sixes for seven or something nuts. And then, like, my first kind of you know, played a bunch of people and just beat them because big creature can't beat it, whatever. It's funny because that's when creatures were terrible. Yeah. But um, then came up against someone playing like a Leviathan deck, like a blue Leviathan control deck and just could never win. And it was kind of neat to see like the strategic depth there. But as a nine-year-old, I didn't really care. And then after summer camp ended, kind of moved away from that, played with some Pokemon cards, then came back to Magic when I was 13 or 14 and played for all of high school. Uh, that was back during Psychotog. Um, and you know, that was my first kind of introduction to real competitive magic. And like, even beyond that, the idea of having a plan, then, you know, I went off to college, I stopped playing, picked it up a few years later and I've been playing probably for five or six years. Uh, now I guess maybe more since return to Ravnica, I've been playing, uh, consistently. And I think that like the fact that magic is always there for you is like one of the best things about magic. Like once you have a decent grasp of the game, you can sort of just come back to it at any point, and it's like reasonably easy to pick up. Yeah, I think that's really cool. After a 25-year history, there's a variety of changes that have happened, of course, but the core of it is still there. One thing that I saw when I came back was like, oh, there's no more mana burn. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's it's really neat because it makes some old cards you used to play with be completely different. Like I remember all the old cards like Twiddle and things that like tap your opponent's lands or yeah. there's this old card. I forget what it was. I used to play it and it was it was a blue card and I played it in an aggressive blue deck and it was like tap all your opponent's lands uh, for mana and you can spend that mana. And I remember this yeah. card being amazing because it was like piracy. It was some kind of pirate theme thing, but you would like cast it and they have to tap all their lands and take mana burn. Or they would have to let you have all their mana, and then you could cast spells. And I come back, and mana burn's gone, and it's just completely useless. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And there's that one, I think it's in Cold Snap, that one cumulative upkeep uh, red spell that every turn... Braid of Fire! That was the other one that gives you red in your upkeep every turn that was like you would... Yeah. (laughs) Well, now it's like, thank you for that. Back in the day, it was like it's burning you. 
<laughs> yep. Now, then uh, we're dealing with the most modern version of Magic nowadays, which is Magic Arena. So how long have you played Magic Arena? So Magic Arena, uh, the closed beta went out and I had forgotten to apply for it. And I played it the pre-release where they gave you the free code and unfortunately I lost it. And so Mm -hmm. I didn't, I wasn't in the closed beta initially, but the moment that the closed beta kind of became public if you remember there was that moment where people in the closed beta had codes they could give to other people to get them into the closed beta like eight people sent yeah. me codes because they were like i know you're the guy who's going to want to do this and that was when i started so i got my cool alternate art planeswalkers but like just barely okay yeah same here i applied via their email at the beginning of 2018 and i requested it in sometime in early january when that call went out can i get a code but it wasn't until april that I got my code, so I've been playing it since that time, April, and I've also got those full art Planeswalkers. Really nice bling for the deck. They are cool. Would you consider yourself as a beginner, intermediate, or advanced player in Magic in general, or Arena in specific? I'd say that I'm pretty advanced. I'm not quite on the Pro Tour level, but I've had some pretty good finishes i put myself through college with a combination of like magic and video games so like lots of you know like gpts and things if they still have those i don't know if they still have those in the magic fest era but like grand pre trials where the the purse would be like two thousand dollars or you know invitational qualifiers that kind of thing but i always had a job that kind of stopped me from being able to travel for large magic tournaments so Mm -hmm. never really kind of cut my teeth on the grand pre level though i've played in some star city opens when they're when they're regional, but I would say advanced. I have a reasonably good comprehension of magic. Oh, cool. I think you probably are the most advanced player I've talked to on the podcast so far, so that's really cool. I've really got to pick your brain then on the Discord to get all the best deck tech. (laughs) For sure. It's my favorite thing about the game. I know uh, at my local game store, uh, when Ravnica came out, I designed like five or six decks because mm-hmm. um, I had fr- I have friends at my store and they're like, I like this color. I like these cards and I'm not really sure where to go from there. Mm-hmm. And actually three of the decks I designed it this time showed up at the first mocks, like within four cards. So I was really mm-hmm. stoked. Mm-hmm. They've sort of fallen out of favor now. I missed on Niv-Mizzet. I didn't think Niv-Mizzet was going to be this good. Mm-hmm. Um, but... I guess nobody really did at the beginning. So I was right at the beginning, but time has proven me wrong. <laughs> well, sometimes that happens. Mm-hmm. Well, that's the best thing is it's so deep that you can't always be right. Nobody is. Yeah. Now, what would you say is a, uh, one of your favorite cards at the moment? Like something, it can be powerful or useful or just fun, janky, whatever you, you think. So what, what's a good card you like at the moment? So my absolute favorite card in standard is the Eldest Reborn. Hmm. I think it is terrible right now. <laughs> it is maybe one of the worst cards. Interesting. Uh, I think it is almost never good. I just begrudgingly cut the last copy of it <laughs> from my arena deck. Um, I've been playing Golgari on the ladder. Um, and I just cut the last Eldest Reborn. But like at the beginning of Standard, I was playing three Eldest Reborn, two Fine Brokers, and I was looping them, and I was having a blast. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think... It just so frequently is bad now. Uh, but it is... I think that the Sagas are such a cool design. Yeah. And Eldest Reborn 
um, along with History of Benalia. I think History of Benalia is an incredible design, too. I think both of those cards are just incredible designs, and I love them both. Yeah, I think it's really cool that these sagas, even though they got spoiled, uh, like playing them and using them, I think it's really cool. Like conceptually, Mark Rosewater's always talking about like, what's the flavor here? What are we trying to do? And this is like, there's so much history in Dominaria that this is going to be, you know, a sort of a historical document, chapter one, two, three, and different things are going to happen. So it's kind of cool that after coming back into Magic, like here's a mechanic that's like really brand new, really interesting, and really fun to play too. Well, it's funny that you call sagas brand new um, because they are brand new to us. But do you know where the inspiration for sagas actually came from? No, where? So the original Lorwyn Planeswalker design. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I think I was reading... Yeah. yeah, it was Garrick Wildspeaker. And the idea was that the abilities would just fire in order. Yeah. So he would just untap two lands and then make a beast and then overrun. And of course, those would cycle. Uh, so he, would, he wouldn't he would die. He would go back to the first ability and walk through them over and over again, kind of like a program. And I think the Planeswalkers that we ended up with are a lot cooler than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think on Sagas, that was like the perfect place to bring that back and realize it. And I think it is fantastic because you can kind of, with since they're terminal, right? Since the sagas die and go away, mm-hmm. you can up the power level on the effects. Like if a planeswalker did Eldest Reborn, mm-hmm. that would be insane. But on Eldest Reborn, it's fine because you know you only get one bite at each of the apples. Yeah, that's really cool how there are concepts that they have at one point, they might not work out at that point, and then they play test it and evolve it and forget about it, and then it comes back later. Yeah, exactly. Are you doing any decks at the moment that you would say are your favorite that stand out to you? Absolutely. Um, I love Golgari uh, a ton. I don't normally play decks like that. Uh, I normally play control decks. Uh, I kind of cut my teeth in the Sphinx's Revelation mirrors, mm-hmm. and that's where I'm most comfortable. Last standard, I was playing Approach. But mm-hmm. there's something about Golgari and decks, these black-green mid-range decks that, like, they force you to play percentages, right? Like in your control deck, you can kind of go, all right, so I can play more aggressively here or I can play less aggressively. But if I want to sit back, like I kind of have control all the time of the way the game is going uh, after the first few turns. And I'm not saying you always win, but like your opponent is hitting you with a creature and you choose whether or not you want to leverage your life total and you know cast a draw spell to draw some cards or whether you want to kill their creature and not draw cards not getting ahead like you get to craft the whole game but with mm-hmm. and with aggro decks you kind of are doing not that there aren't any intricacies to aggro decks there are a ton i think they're the most complicated decks in magic to play and the most frequently misplayed mm-hmm. but your kind of path is always the same you're always going to choose whichever line you think is a combination of the safest and most aggressive but with green black like you're frequently not in control of the game and you're frequently not closing the game quickly Mm. so there are so many spots where you just have to be like here is my thrashing bronodon i sure hope it was right to play this and not hold up (laughs) cast out you know and it's or cast down rather cast down you sure hope it's right to play this bronodon so i can start attacking and not hold up this cast down or not hold this vraska's contempt so i can exile the tepery you might cast before you untap lands and counter it you know and it's just like it appeals to the poker player in me where like i just love the sweat i love the gamble that golgari like constantly puts you through do you think do you think that's that's okay do you think that's sort of 
uh, kind of like an underdog mentality that you also go for if you describe it the way you do? I guess it's just like a rush. You know, when you talk to like gamblers and I, I love gambling, mm -hmm. um, <laughs> I absolutely love it. You just like tapping out, just being completely shields down. Like the closest thing to it is kind of uh, when you play, you know, when on turn five against the red deck, you just slam Lyra Dawnbringer. And like you mm -hmm. kept your hand because Lyra Dawnbringer is good. Mm -hmm. But like maybe your hand wasn't so good otherwise. So maybe you're at 10 now. And your leftovers are just nonsense. You just cast Lyra. You're like, if you can't kill this, I win. Yeah. If you can kill this, you win. And I think like that stresses out a lot of players. But for me, like magic, the fact it can swing from like some games, it's super decision intensive. You know, like everything is about skill. And then some other games, it's just rolling the dice. I think that is thrilling. Yeah. What do you think about sort of the uh, Vorthos aspect of Golgari and the whole story behind those various guilds? So I kind of came up in a time before. So the books came out sort of along with the cards. Um, they'd come out in the fat packs, but I didn't know that for a long time. So for me and my approach to magic, it's not really about the story. Like, I think it's really cool that they're putting out the story now, mm -hmm. but that doesn't interest me. Like, the way that I relate to Magic, and it's not on a purely strategic level, but it's like, man, this card, like, uh, the first one was Rain Academy Chancellor. Mm -hmm. And, like, the art was cool, and the effect was unique, and it was just this really interesting card. And I was like, well, what I need to know is about Rain Academy Chancellor. So, like, for example, when I saw the spoilers for... Uh, the new Ravnica set. Like for me, it's not about which guilds are going to side with Nicol Bolas mm -hmm. or, you know, what the story they're telling is. For me, it's like, man, I need to know what's going on with Lavinia. Like for me, it's like I read the flavor text on that new addendum draw to where the <laughs> Sphinx is like, yeah. I know what you're doing, Dovin Bon. Yeah. And I can't stop you because you're the law and I'm the law, but I'm watching you. Like yeah. those are the cool kind of like, I guess like the, you know, the Timmy Vorthos or the Vorthos points for me, like the yeah. story that I care about is like the story that the cards tell me. And it might not even be the story. Like I've been wildly wrong before uh, based on like some of the cards. And I'll be like, is this what's going on in magic? And everyone else will look at me and be like, no, you dummy. Can't you read? And I'll be like, yeah, but that's less fun. I just want to read these cards and try to piece it together. So <laughs> I think uh, magic or wizards does a good job of, here is some amount of story in the cards, in the flavor text, and they give you like these various beats. And then here's a whole, you know, thousands of words, stories uh, to fill in all of the details. And I think it can serve both of those camps, those that want to play the cards and get a little story at that moment, and those that want to go deeper into the, you know, into the larger story. Absolutely. Absolutely. Could not agree more. When I got back into magic right after Hour of Devastation, and I saw that they had like these, uh, you know, these uh, stories online. I started reading the Hour of Devastation story when it's all going to heck, and I'm like, wait a minute, let me go back and read the Amonkhet story. Like, how did it all get to this? And who's this? Who's this Nissa character? And who's this Gideon character? And all of that. I was just so out of it, so I went back and read a little bit, and I kind of fell off on the latest stories. But I still like how you can get a good gist of it in the cards. Absolutely. And I, that's what I mean. It's like so great that you can sort of keep up enough that when you find a story that does interest you, you can dive in and not be missing anything. But I mean, this set, I am taken 
with like what's going on in the Azori. I desperately want to know what's going on mm-hmm. specifically with Lavinia. Yeah. Uh, well. Because every time I've read a little bit of the stories, um, I read like the beginning of the Ixalan story. And you get like this window into Lavinia where she's like really sassy and kind of snippy for like not what you'd expect an Azorius mage to be. Mm-hmm. And now, like, if you look at the three Azorius cards that we have, it looks like you notice that there's this huge Azorius instant and Lavinia completely counters it. Mm-hmm. So I'm like really interested to see what Lavinia is up to. And her art looks like really shaded, like she's kind of sneaking around. It's like a totally new look for the character. And I'm really interested in it. Yeah, I like to keep up on uh, the latest announcements on the site and on their Twitter and such, and I'm uh, on the edge of my seat, too. Also, Domri Raid. Huh. Uh, that's the other thing. It's like sometimes I'll lose to a card a million times, and then I'll be interested in it. So, <laughs> like, last time Domri Raid was in standard, your opponent could go, I guess you missed that, but your opponent yeah. could go turn one Lanoir Elf, or uh, Elvish Mystic it was at the time, which is the same as Lanoir Elf. Mm-hmm. Turn two Planeswalker. <laughs> and so when you're playing blue white control you're just like oh my god and then would plus the planeswalker and the plus is like reveal the top card of your library if it's a creature put it in your hand or it might even be look at it reveal it only if you want then mm. put it in your hand if it's a creature like so you would just i just get hosed by this card mm. so when i saw domri was coming back i just remembered like all the beatdowns he gave me and i was like <laughs> oh i need to i need to know what's going on with him and we got that cool image of him like riding on the side of that animal yelling now so like i am really excited for this story i might actually read this one again because i i can you know i can just dive in and see what's going on and that's why it's so great that they do that yeah exactly on arena have there been any cool funny weird moments you've had recently that come to mind i actually have exactly one i am so lucky that i stream because i played the best match of my life Mm -hmm. on arena Mm -hmm. it was unbelievable so i was playing golgari and it was like game two and i'd lost game one and i kept this hand on the back of having a fine finality my hand was nonsense um i had like a midnight reaper and two other creatures on the field uh one was a mana elf and i so i was operating with four mana because i only had three land mm-hmm. and my opponent sweeps the board with like a clarion mm-hmm. uh maybe it was a cleansing nova i'm not sure which anyway mm-hmm. they kill all my creatures and i say well we might still be okay as long as we draw something good leftovers in hand i think i was helping so i draw and my draws against my opponent with four lands and i'm sorry it was ritual of so it was mm-hmm. definitely ritual because yeah, yeah. he was playing esper so i draw and i draw Vraska's Contempt, Assassin's Trophy, Assassin's Trophy, which was the only three removal spells I had left in my deck because they killed Tefri against my opponent who had no white mana and had not played a spell. Mm. The next turn, I draw a Jade Light Ranger. Mm. I play the Jade Light Ranger, and there's a Duress on top of my deck. So I choose to leave the Duress there. Again, my hand is now three removal spells. My opponent has four cards. Mm. My opponent untaps and kills my Jade Light Ranger. Now I'm drawing this duress. I have no pressure and my hand is nonsense. Mm-hmm. I duress my opponent and his hand is sabotage, 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 Tefri. <laughs> so I'm just sitting there. I take the Tefri and I just go, my opponent's lands, he has no white mana. So his lands are like, um, 
he has like a watery grave, a field of ruin, and then three basics that don't make white. So like the moment I play a non-basic land, I lose the game. Hmm. Um, and my hand is three removal spells, which kills something my opponent can't cast, and my opponent's hand is four counter spells. And at that moment, I just decide there's no way I can win, right? Hmm. And somehow I win that game. Hmm. And I have like all 10 minutes of it, the 10 minutes of that ride. It was insane everyone on my stream was going wild and like this is the kind of thing i was saying about variants earlier where or you know like being a poker player like yeah. the gamble the sweat like i love the variance because it produces magic's most unbelievable moments you know there's everybody remembers that randy bueller skit where he's yelling like the lightning helix or whatever <laughs> it was you know to kill the guy because he just drew it mm -hmm. and like i think those are some of the most exciting elements in magic and i got to experience one along with a bunch of people and it was just fantastic well that definitely sounded epic the way you described it i've got to put it into the show notes so i got to get the direct link i uh, did you you were playing I'll that on you the direct link. i have the video saved on my computer too it is not um it has some swear words in it because it was unbelievable <laughs> sure. so that can be a good warning to put on there for everyone but sure. yeah i will send you i will send you the video it is unbelievable all right very nice so if if you consider yourself a, an advanced player, what advice would you give to newer players that are just uh, jumping in arena at the moment? Sure. So I think that this advice is great for arena, but arena is a little more focused. But I think it's huge for magic in general, which is mm -hmm. that magic is this huge, expansive game. There's thousands and thousands and thousands of cards. And it's really, most people are like, oh, I've heard a lot about magic. I want to play magic, right? But like magic is so many different things to so many different people. All the time people ask me, they're like, I want to play magic. What should I do? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, you know, kind of think about why. You know, like go play a couple games, but then think about like what about it is fun for you and kind of like focus on that. And this kind of also applies to intermediate players because I think magic is really good at attracting new players but they get caught in this zone where they want to like do everything and it's it's too much to do all at once so it's kind of about picking what you want magic to be for you right like mm -hmm. do you just want to be a player who plays to win because that's totally cool like get on the internet net deck figure out what the most effective strategies are and do it mm -hmm. do you want to be a green mage that's fine too if you love casting big green monsters do that if that's what's fun for you. Do you like vampires a lot? Then do that. Um, do you want to, you know, and not arena, obviously, but in, you know, in paper magic, do you want to play casual? Do you want to play in tournaments? What do you, what about magic is the most fun for you? And try lots of things, but understand that not every part of magic is every part of magic. It's fine to be like Daniel, the pro, like the Daniel, the vampire mage, you know, <laughs> if that's your identity yeah. and build like a, a vampire deck on arena or, because you like the mechanics or build a vampire commander deck or whatever it is you want to do. But so many people get frustrated when they're like, I have this vampire deck and now I want to win grand prix with my yeah. vampire deck. And it's, it's sometimes it's like, I'm sorry, but that's not, you they're know, that's not, not the path. They're, to they're mutually that. exclusive sometimes. Yeah. And that's kind of the truth that a lot of people don't want to hear. Cause it's not a fun mm. truth, right? Mm -hmm. You never want to have to tell someone, well, your deck is just not good enough structurally to do the things you want. It's either on too low of a power level or it's not consistent enough for 13 rounds of play, you know, those kinds of things. And it's it's unfortunate. But I think that being honest with yourself, because so many people get frustrated there mm -hmm. and they quit. 
mm-hmm. you know, because it's frustrating. It is when you think you can do everything and you can't. Um, so I think that being honest with yourself and, you know, once your goals are more reasonable, it's a lot easier to just have fun pursuing your goal, you know? Yeah, so I, I think, think that's that. the thing is figure out what you want to do and do that and enjoy that fully for what it is. I think that's really good advice. One of the things that I'm getting out of this podcast myself from talking to different people is all of these perspectives. And I think so far on every episode that I've recorded, people have said different things. And I, I, I like everything everyone said. I, I like what you're saying. It's sort of like specializing. And it's really cool how if the person can figure out what they want to do in the game, then they can do it the best way they can, as long as they figure out what they want to do and have fun with it and everything. And as you get better and as your budget grows and as your knowledge of how the game is played grows, you can expand and do multiple things, you know, like that's fine. But initially your budget is probably only so big and your knowledge is definitely only so big and your time is only so large. It's good to mm-hmm. kind of focus on one thing and branch out from there. But like now, you know, I play standard and I play modern and I play commander. I play all these formats because I've had years and years to work my way into them. And I have like, decks that range the spectrum from really goofy to Hmm. you know incredibly powerful and it's just because i've built up kind of this understanding of what i really like and how cards work and that kind of thing over time but it's great to like really zero in on one thing initially i think that's good advice i think uh in the beginning when i played back in the 90s i had like no goals at all like okay i hear i'm gonna put this mesa pegasus in my deck it looks pretty but then you've got to kind of uh, specialize at a certain point. And then nowadays, I guess I play a little bit more Demir, uh, kind of like a hand disruption sort of thing. And that's what I like having fun with. So I think that's good advice. And I mean, just kind of a personal anecdote, not mine, but somebody I play with a lot mm-hmm. um, at my store, they built like a Demir pure control deck, you know, with all the Vraska's Contempts and the Elder Borns and like, a couple of copies of disinformation campaign and they built this after a last standard where they were playing nickel bolus and like a grixis deck and their performance was really not super great this standard and they were kind of unhappy with it you know and they weren't they kind of got mad at their deck and they were mm-hmm. doing worse and they were unhappy they were doing worse um and you know for a while it was let's blame variants and then it was let's blame you know, the deck being bad and let's blame this. But then after a while, they were just kind of like, well, I really want to play Nickel Bullets. So they got with a bunch of their friends, they brewed up a deck and they brought it and they were really secretive about what they had changed (laughs) in their deck. They were like clearly really excited about it, you know? And then they started doing markedly better. Instead of going 0-3 or 1-2 and complaining about getting unlucky, they've been like 2-1-3-0 in, you know, our weekend, you know, like our standard showdown and like winning consistently and beating good players, you know? Um, And it's just because they, instead of doing what someone else told them to do that was good, they brewed their own deck and kind of played it the way they wanted to play it. And even though it does very similar things, I don't know if it's their experience with the card Nicol Bolas. I don't know if they had some kind of insight that the pros don't have, though, to be frank, I I do sort of doubt that. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're doing markedly better with their, it's either three or four color Bolas deck Mm -hmm. than they were with like, you know, what is a legitimate deck in blue-black mid-range that sees play. Um, They're just doing better this way because they're more comfortable with it, because they like it more, they're more in the zone. Never underestimate how much better you play with a deck you love than you play with a deck you do not. Never underestimate that in Magic. 
Definitely. And I think that just goes to show, again, the depth of the game of how you can approach it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So with a game that's 25 years old and a uh, digital version that's, uh, I guess, a year old, technically now, if you count the alpha, what would you think about some ways maybe to improve magic, either Magic Arena, Magic in general, the the community, the, the parent company? Any thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. So I think in the last five or six years um, that they're kind of more concerned with marketing and like flashy cards that are exciting, like marketing, instead of marketing magic, the game, the way it is, they have changed the game a little bit for marketing purposes. And I think that that is fine, you know, because companies, I want wizards to make money. I mm -hmm. buy everything I can at my local game store because I want my local game store to make money. Mm -hmm. Because if those things don't make money, I lose my you know, so I don't get mad when Wizards does things like selling the Planeswalker sets, though I wish they had sold them through game stores um, yeah. so that I could support both at the same time, because I understand that they need to make money to continue justifying the game that I love playing. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that it's very clear that for a while we got carried away. We had cards like Aetherworks, Marvel, like Emrakul, like these cards that are just far too good for the format you know they're the marquee cards of the set they really wanted to make sure everyone played them smugglers copters another example but they were ruining the game mm -hmm. and i think that uh, we're still sort of in that problem right now um where a lot of the games feel like they are on autopilot because some of the cards are so good mm -hmm. um cards like niv mizzet cards like carnage tyrant the game at a competitive level right now is entirely about finding Niv-Mizzet or finding Carnage Tyrant and then getting it into play and then killing your opponent with it. Mm -hmm. And the reason for this is that these cards are powerful threats and they're either hard to answer or they generate an incredible amount of an incredible amount of value when you answer them and they also close the game very very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I think it's fine just the cards check too many boxes, right? Like what Niv-Mizzet does some of that should be on Thousand Year Storm instead of on Niv Mizzet. Mm -hmm. You know, Niv Mizzet is a card that if it's if your opponent untaps with it, they're probably going to kill you. Yeah. But the floor of the card is that you play a five five for six. Yes. That seems and it closes the game in one turn. A five your opponent five has a flyer. Six mana spell. Yeah, it's a five five flyer that essentially closes the game in one turn. Mm -hmm. And then there's Carnage Tyrant, which I think is a little better. Then Nimbusit. I think Nimbusit is like an egregious, egregious card. Hmm. Carnage Tyrant a little bit better because at least you can answer it through combat. And I get that they wanted a powerful control hoser, especially when Chaffery's in the format. And then we're also moving towards sort of these very broad answers. But and broad answers are great too. But the broad answers don't answer the threats that they're kind of pushing. So I would love to play cards like Treasure Map and Thousand Year Storm. Like These are the cards that your competitive players can really have a lot of time playing with and around without them getting stale, and mm -hmm. that casual players love. Uh, I'm sure casual players also love Niv-Mizzet and Carnage Tyrant. It's a huge sure. dragon that's awesome, and it's a big dinosaur, and the flavor text is sweet. Yes. Um, and again, I think Carnage Tyrant is not as bad as Niv, where I think Niv is a horrible card to exist. But like now, in this next set, we're getting Bedevil, which is the black, black, red Planeswalker kill slash shatter slash murder. Yeah. And we're getting Mortify, which is the creature slash enchantment destruction spell. Um, and both of these are fine, 
but they're just beating up on cards that are already not good enough. You know, like we're making Thousand Year Storm worse. We're making health. The best thing about this standard is all the sweet treasure map decks. You know, there's big red, there's red white control. There's mm -hmm. all these cool treasure map decks. And next set, they're going to print another card that puts them in the same place their braid put them before. Because we have to print powerful removal because we're printing powerful threats, right? Yeah. But like a cycle, a vicious removal, cycle. Yeah, but the powerful removal doesn't actually answer the powerful threats effectively, right? Like, but Devil's no good against Nim Mizzet. Hmm. They're going to draw a card. Maybe they're going to dive down their Nim Mizzet and draw another card, and then hmm. you're totally dead. Like, meanwhile, Treasure Map just gets beat up on. So I think that instead of marketing the cards the way that they're doing it, I wish that they would find the cards which kind of check only one box push cards that check one box like it's fine to have cards like wolf Ear avenger which is green green one and it's a three three and it has flesh and it has regenerate mm -hmm. that is a card that checks a lot of boxes against control you know it has flash that's great it has regenerate it's hard to kill mm -hmm. um it's reasonably big but it's not powerful Hmm. that's a card that checks a lot of boxes so you want it against a specific deck and maybe it's good enough to main deck like it's close but it doesn't end the game in two turns yeah you know the cards that check a lot of boxes in terms of when you want them or what they're good against should be cards like treasure map cards like thousand year storm cards like you know like i think scrap heap scrounger was a great card for the same reason it's this incredibly resilient threat that checks a lot of boxes but it doesn't kill you the turn it comes into play yeah. you know it has to come into play like three or four times and it eventually grinds you down and that's part of the reason that last standard even though it was mostly red black was great mm -hmm. and it's part of the reason that this standard launched great and people are now souring on it a little bit oh. because it's just become the niv mizzet carnage hiring game and niv mizzet is a card that when you play it you just win because your opponent's best thing to do to answer it is cast their own niv mizzet yeah, but then you get to untap with all of your mana, and it's just nutty. I'd love to see them push cards with fun play patterns that have like a lot of like abilities on them that do things that don't run away with the game, like Treasure Map. If Treasure Map had been a pushed card, that would have been incredible. Mm -hmm. Now you know it's probably not going to be good enough to to weather this main deckable shatter kill. Um, and maybe I'll be wrong. You know, now I'm now I'm going to be on recording as saying <laughs> that I think that's true, and maybe I'll be completely wrong because I've been wrong before. Again, deep game, easy to be wrong. Well, but, don't worry, I'll absolve you if you're ever wrong. <laughs> well, thank you very much. But yeah, I would just love to see kind of the red decks produce fast games. I don't want fast games to go away. I think they're an important part of Magic. Mm -hmm. But I would love to see decks like Black Green win with cards like Golgari Fine Broker and cards like. Um, you know, Wild Growth Walker. I think I'd rather see them win with those cards than Carnage Tyrant. Mm -hmm. I think I'd rather see Blue Red win with, like, the Phoenixes are out of the deck. Arclight Phoenix no longer in the best Blue Red decks. Mm -hmm. It is three or four Enigma Drakes, four Crackling Drakes, yeah. and two or three Nib Mizzets. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of sad, because I think Phoenix is the card that's cooler. Well, the animation but of it, it is turns out cool. it just isn't better than <laughs> Nib Mizzets. Yeah. Well, here's an idea. We've gotten, uh, this is our third go around back to Ravnica, and then we're coming into Ravnica again. How about we do Return to Ice Age? <laughs> I think that could be really cool. Um, especially, like, if there's one thing that I have a lot of confidence in. It's that I think, I think that, like, the kind of runaway top 2% of magic cards 
can sometimes run away with the game and dominate. But I think that if you get sort of just below those, they're still an excellent game. So every set, I'm still, you know, really hopeful. And I think that Return to Ice Age would be cool. I think people <laughs> want Snowlands again, <laughs> especially in Standard. Um, cumulative think, upkeep? Cumulative upkeep seems interesting. <laughs> I don't know that they would ever do that yeah. again. Um, but I'd be interested. Um, and I think Scred in Modern could use some upgrades. I think sure. it's been long enough. Um, Blue, Red, Delver, and Popper. That could get some upgrades. But yeah, no, I think I love, love, love the return sets. Like, I know a lot of people after we did Return to Ravnica and then Battle for Zendikar, they're like, oh, we're just going back everywhere. We're doing all this stuff. All these worlds are great. And the new worlds are great, too. Mm -hmm. But, like, every time we go back to an old world or an old setting, like Dominaria, that was fantastic, too. And I wouldn't mind kind of like this, you know, at least until we visited everywhere again. I wouldn't mind doing lots of return sets. Sure. I know other people want to see new things, but like I would kill to go back to Mirrodin again now or mm -hmm. get some new Mirrodin set. And I know that like Kaladesh was just an artifact block a few years ago, but like Mirrodin was a really cool place. And that's what motivates my desire to want to go back there. You know, I want some more swords. Mm -hmm. Um, I just really sword of dog and cats. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think that it's, I just, it's really hard for them to make a bad decision with Magic. Except for some of these cards that just don't have fun play patterns. And I'm not sure how they kind of keep getting out. And I'm not sure that it's even anything they can do anything about. You know, like maybe it's just the fact that Magic is iterated so much now. Yeah. And with Arena, even more. You know, and with the Pro Tour, like they've been moving it around to try to find a place they can put it where the format doesn't get solved so early. And I'm not sure that there's really like maybe there will always be best cards. But I think that if you're kind of if you're wizards and you're designing in a world where there will always be best cards, that you should make sure that just like intentionally push cards. Like intentionally push cards like you used to. But don't push don't push Gideon, Ally of Zendikar. Don't hmm. push Aetherworks Marvel. Push cards that are that check only one box, but push them really far in their box. You know, give me like Thrun the Last Troll. Give me 4 4 uncounterable hex proof regenerate. Like, <laughs> give me that. Make it resilient. Make it, you know, make it Thrag Tusk. You know, make it give me value when it comes into play and dies. Or make it huge. You know, give me Galta. Like, Galta, Thrag Tusk, um, and Thrun are examples of great designs because they check one box and they check it so well um, yeah i think that goes back to what you were saying earlier about maybe players themselves specializing maybe watsi exactly. should kind of specialize as well so yeah a lot of good points but other than that i think all in all the game is fantastic i know that was like my you know my rant there about the one thing i don't like in <laughs> magic but at the end of the day you know if standard is stale because nimizit is ruining it that doesn't mean i don't have like incredible commander decks fueled by unbelievable commander content i'm still playing yidris he's been out for like three years mm -hmm. you know i'm and my yidris deck is literally just full of all my favorite cards from magic past so it's just like this mid-range yidris deck i'm still playing that been playing it for three years it's fantastic still playing young or still playing mardu pyromancer in modern so like you know sometimes and maybe this is the case maybe i'm about to you know kind of undercut myself here mm -hmm. sometimes you have been doing the same thing for too long you know maybe you play standard 20 hours a week you know like no other hobby kind of has this burden 
that I feel like people want from Magic, where you can play it 100 hours a week and it's still fun. Mm-hmm. Like, that's just not how life works, you know? So, like, you know, if you want to keep playing Magic, great. But, like, maybe kind of at that point where you're playing that much, diversify a little. And I know it's expensive, but, like, all hobbies are kind of expensive at some point. But, like, yeah. so many people will complain about things like that. And, like, when I get upset with Standard, I step away to Modern. I step away to Commander. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe one day I'll step away to Legacy when I win the lottery. But... <laughs> um, <laughs> And all of those formats, all of those games are still a blast. Yeah, definitely. That's just the testament of, of this game that uh, who mm-hmm. would have thought 25 years ago would have still been going on. Well, uh, in your experiences, what uh, we've been kind of edging toward it, but like, what would you say, if if it's possible to narrow it down, what would you say, what's one thing that you love about Magic? Absolutely. I think we, we touched on it a little bit before, but I am I am a very degenerate gambler. <laughs> um i should not go near casinos with the amount of money that i make but mm-hmm. i still do um and those games in magic like the wildly improbable games are just my favorite they're just my absolute favorite like that and like sweat of just tapping out and knowing you're fully shields down and your opponent could kill you but maybe they won't like that's mm-hmm. so exciting for me and like mm-hmm. the fact that you i used to play a lot of starcraft um and i was not the best but i was pretty good um, and when you play StarCraft against your friend, you know you're going to win every time if you're better. Mm-hmm. Your friend will not beat you. Mm-hmm. That's not how kind of a lot of video games play. They're very skill intensive. And I think that people, they want like games with less variance. Mm-hmm. And that's fine. I think there's lots of games like that. But I don't think Magic is your game. I think that kind of a lot of the fun of Magic is that I can't ever sit down across from anyone and know that the game's going to be easy or know that I'm going to win. Sure. You know, I can feel confident, but I can never know. Mm-hmm. And I think that that is a huge part of it for both the players who are still learning or who are just not that focused that they can still win sometimes, you know? And then for good players, you just can never not be on your toes. You know, in like video games, if I'm way better than someone, I can screw off. I can mess around. Yeah. But in Magic, I can't. Not if I want to win. Mm-hmm. And you so I think to... that variance kind of provides a, a level. It requires a focus that skill focused like entirely skill-based games don't always require from you yeah there's just a lot of moving parts well magic is life but there are other things in life what would you say is a non-magic hobby that you're into so i guess i kind of i bounce around between a lot of things all the time uh, magic included um as you could tell i've stopped and started playing like three or four times like i said mm-hmm. um and for me i think i just competitive whatever it is i love being able to be competitive and for me it's a lot about the learning i love learning i consume like a ton of magic content a week um because i love learning so Mm -hmm. i'm like really dialed in on magic and currently um a ton of video games uh i just i love playing video games and i love strategy games in particular i'm really excited to spend 80 hours a week playing warcraft 3 when they release the remaster sometime Mm -hmm. next year and so my hobbies are basically anything that I can learn, anything I can prove, anything I can master. Uh, just getting better, I guess, is my hobby. Like, no matter what kind of the thing is, if you're like, here's the thing, you could get good at it. I'm just like, that's what I want to do. I want to get good at the thing. I want to find the best possible way to do the thing, and then I want to do that. And that's just, I mean, that's really my hobby. It's just kind of, I guess, iteration is my hobby. Well, uh, when am I going to see you on the competitive uh, baking tour? Oh, right. <laughs> I actually, that's funny. I love baking television. Oh. 
That's funny that you would mention that. Uh, like all those Netflix shows, like I used to watch Cake Boss uh-huh. every week. I just, I love baking television is fantastic. I've had to step away from that a little bit because I've been dieting lately and it's too hard. Sure. Um, but uh, I love baking television. I have absolutely never put my mind to baking anything though. Well, uh, that's also kind of funny because one of my too many hobbies is I like to go to thrift stores and I like to get like old cookbooks. So I've got a shelf over here of uh, cookbooks from the 60s, the 50s, the 70s, all these different decades. Uh, I like the photography. I like the recipes. I like just the the aesthetic of it. I would like to bake a little bit or cook from those books a little bit more. Uh, I don't have as much time as I would like. But that's one of my hobbies there, uh, cookbooks. That sounds awesome. So, like, that's the furthest away from what I usually do, a lot of technology stuff. And there's, uh, there's you know, food and baking and cooking and such. Well, I will eagerly await your uh, baking stream and or podcast as well. And I will watch that <laughs> along with all of my other baking and cooking related shows. You know, I've tried to do a few cooking things on my YouTube. It's mostly magic and comic books, but once in a while I throw in there some cooking stuff. So yeah, go back in the catalog and there's there's like a spicy cheese dip that is not too complicated to make that I've got. I'll have to try that. I have a strict one pan rule because I'm very lazy. Oh, sure. But maybe I'll be able to find something. (laughs) Yes. Well, as we wind down... Let me give you a chance to do any more promotion. What do you want people to go check out of yours? Yeah, I mean, I guess that it's mostly just my Twitch channel. Um, I stream five days a week, but three of those days are wow. Two of them are magic. So that's probably what's more most relevant here. Again, that's Thursday evenings from like six to ten. And then, um, you know, Sunday afternoons from about two, generally two on the dot uh, till like eight or nine. And the more people I have, like the more I have a reason to kind of discuss my lines of play, to yeah. talk to people, to answer questions, learn stuff from them. So like anyone who can come and hang out, I'd love to talk with you. Um, normally I have a decent number of viewers, but you know, you can always use more. Um, and it's just a really good time for me and for everyone else. I mean, I know that uh, somebody at my store has made a play mat of me now, which I have signed <laughs> and he wants to start selling them. Oh, wow. um, so you guys have to show up and get used to all the Twitch chat memes and come buy them. <laughs> that's so cool yeah because we're playing arena so much it can be a little isolating so it's so great to be able to stream it and have people even like one person jumping on the stream is great because then you've got someone to converse with and be social yeah exactly and i think that the community is the best part of magic and i think that a lot of people are worried they're like i don't want to play arena because it um you know it's it's not the same as sitting across from someone and i agree uh, I agree wholeheartedly. I love paper magic, but mm-hmm. I also love arena. And I think that streaming my games on arena is kind of the way to get get that community to get that feel back. So it's like really a huge deal to me that people show up and watch and I love it. And I hope that I can provide them with some value for their time. Um, we do giveaways occasionally. I give away fancy chocolate because I work for a fancy chocolate company. Ooh, cool. So that's always nice. Yeah, I work for Godiva Chocolatier. So. That's exactly what I, I was going to guess. chocolate giveaways every once in a while. Um, and it's just a blast. Uh, so hopefully some people will come and check it out. Well, cool. Thank you so much, Alan. Um, as for myself, uh, let me see. I'm on Twitter, twitter.com slash VMCampos. I tweet a bunch of uh, comic and magic-related stuff and random things, random photos. 
I'm over on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash vmcampusjr. Uh, don't forget the JR because someone else was a v- VM campus before me. And so there I've also got magic and comic book halls and uh, random uh, cooking things and technology stuff. And lastly, I'm And you over... just got one follower right now. Oh, so cool. Uh, you know, I'm <laughs> on my road to 500 subscribers, so I'm so close. Oh my goodness, that's incredible. <laughs> yes. And then lastly, I'm over on patreon.com slash vmcampos, and there I've got a lot of free stuff. Uh, but then if people sign up for the $1 tier, they get access to a few fun things here and there. And if they go for the $2 tier, I send people vintage magic cards uh, to collect or put into a commander deck or whatever. So that's patreon.com slash vmcampos. So thank you everyone for listening. This has been VM Campos, and I'll see you in the arena.